I'm Seth for Privacy, and thanks so much for joining us on the journey to sovereignty. We're beyond thrilled to have a place for us to chat about all things sovereignty, the why and how we're reclaiming your digital sovereignty, and to give you all a chance to chime in, ask questions, and join the conversation. Journey to Sovereignty is brought to you by Foundation, where we build Bitcoin-centric tools that empower you to reclaim your digital sovereignty. This includes our Passport Hardware Wallet and Envoy mobile app. This week, we're going to dive into the world of multisig and are joined by Anant from Bitcoin Keeper, a new Bitcoin multisig wallet that's leapt onto the scene in the last few months. We'll answer the basic questions that are commonly asked around multisig, dive into the pros and cons, and hear a bit from Keeper on how they're approaching multisig in a fresh way. Um, of course, I'm joined by Bitcoin Q&A, head of customer experience here at Foundation as well today. How's it going, everybody? Doing well, Seth. Sorry, I was double muted there. Yeah, I, I'm doing well. Um, I'm really yeah, happy to uh, be joined by our first uh, external guest on the podcast. So uh, welcome to Anand. Uh, awesome. Well, why don't we just go ahead and start off by giving you a chance to, to introduce yourself, Anand, and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what, what Bitcoin Keeper does. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Anand Tapadia. I'm the CEO and founder of uh, of BitHive, a company uh, that has two self-custody products and Keeper is the multi-sig product that we are going to talk about today. Keeper is essentially a product that is designed for long-term security of your Bitcoins. It uses multi-sig as, uh, as a tool, but it has many other neat features that we'll talk about soon. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you for, for walking us through that. Um, and definitely curious to hear your thoughts as we kind of walk through through what multi-seg is, because obviously your team has a lot of experience with with building out an app around that. Um, so looking forward to that. But like always, I, I really want to start off by going back to basics and laying the groundwork. I'm sure some people in the audience have have heard of multi-seg. Maybe some have even used it or use it right now for securing their Bitcoin. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's kind of a it's kind of shrouded in mystery as a concept, and, and most people don't actually use it day to day. So. Let's just kind of start with what is multi-sig and, and how is it different from regular Bitcoin usage, uh, which sometimes is called single sig. Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll jump in first and I'll let uh, Anant uh, cap off my sort of thoughts. So, yeah, as you correctly uh, alluded to, Seth, um, the typical uh, usage of of Bitcoin is is commonly referred to as single sig. Uh, so, what does that really mean? Um, so, single sig refers to a single signature. Uh, where we would have uh, just a single point of authority to be able to spend some Bitcoin. Uh, now that signatures can come from uh, a piece of software on a computer, uh, your phone, or uh, a hardware device like we produce. Um, the 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 key bit is um, that there's just one piece of information or one secret uh, that is required to be able to authorize uh, any spend transactions. Now that you know, is is ultimately one of the most simple ways that you can interact with Bitcoin, and and is probably why that it's the most commonly um, used method or, or storage method uh, to be able to keep your Bitcoin safe and to spend your Bitcoin. Where multi-sig comes in uh, is, you know, the clue's kind of in the name, really, where you need multiple signatures to be able to authorize any spend uh, transactions. So you can create. Um, any number of different types of multi-signature wallets could be something as simple as a uh, two of two multi-sig where you use two keys or pieces of software to um, construct the wallet and you need a signature from both of them to be able to authorize any spend transactions. If you only have one device or one piece of software, then that is, that will not provide enough signatures and the sign and the transaction is not valid so that um, it, it, essentially the rest of the Bitcoin network will reject that. 
Um, and these uh, signing schemes or multi-sig quorums, as they're sometimes called uh, by people who've been around in the space a little bit longer, can get as extravagant as, you know, 11 of 15 maybe in, in kind of a large business setting. Of course, something like that is not typically used by um, the average Bitcoiner that's probably listening to this. Uh, the most common setup um, that is used today more frequently would be a two of three. Again, where there's three keys. Uh, traditionally, uh, these are mainly hardware wallets uh, and you require a signature from two of those uh, to be able to uh, authorize any spend transactions. I think that was, I think that was very well explained. Um, the only thing I would like to add here is, rather not really add, is uh, further detail is that uh, you know people sometimes get confused between what the keys are where they are stored and stuff so if you really break down you, you forget single single multisig but if you take a single key and uh, you just look at uh, what are the four different you know functions it performs then you might be better able to understand how you you know multiply or extrapolate it to a multisig so the way i look at it is uh, there are essentially four key parts to it one is how is the key generated right where does the entropy come from basically then how are you storing it that's the second piece the third piece is how are you using to sign it right and the fourth piece is basically uh, is your you know the signing device that you're using is that online or offline if you take these four factors so for example you could uh, generate uh, generate the initial entropy using you know dice rolls or cards or or maybe a wallet entropy um, and then you can use the seed word on a steel backup plate to essentially uh, you know back it up and store it you might use use seed signer and put put those details in seed signer every time you want to sign uh, sign a transaction and then you might have a completely different wallet a blue wallet or a keeper or whatever where you are using it for uh, all the other wallet functionalities like address generation and stuff so these four pieces always uh, remain with the with any key generation or the you know how the keys how keys are used now keys are obviously you know uh, pair public private key pair and there are a lot of other aspects to it but these are the key areas uh, that differ and every time you vary one of them you get a different configuration similarly what you would do is you now each of the key in a multisig would would be performing the same four functions all let's say you have a two of three scheme you might be generating all the three keys in different ways you might store it in a very different way right you might use a very different signing mechanism for each of them so that is uh, that is what uh, really helped me understand the relationship between single sig and multisig multisig is literally multiple pieces of the same thing there are a few nuances there but that is that is basically a good starting point i would say yeah, I'm glad that you covered the the pieces that are involved in key storage, signing, and generation for each. Because that that is true of single sig and multi sig. That all of those factors still apply, but multi sig obviously multiplies the the importance of each of those steps, uh, especially how you're going to store it, how you're going to have access to devices, or how people in the quorum are going to have access to devices to actually actually sign transactions. Uh, it's an, and it's important to understand understand those pieces there. Um, yeah, I think you did a great job covering that uh, and diving into a little bit of what multi-sig is. Um, but 
I think another piece that I want to really touch on is is what are the biggest drawbacks when it comes to multi-sig? Because I think a lot of times people talk about the benefits and there are a lot of really interesting use cases for multi-sig. Um, but I want to be sure that we we cover the the drawbacks too before we get too in-depth into what multi-sig can do for, for kind of the average person. Absolutely. Um, I was about to kind of add on that this, this is what the differences are, but there are some trade-offs. So it's not uh, it's not simply multiplying the same aspects to you know three different keys, but then there is uh, there are this the basic thing of you know uh, you know locking your door once versus locking your door thrice is obviously operationally longer. So that's one trade-off. That to establish a multisig, it is a much uh, uh, much longer operational process than a single sig. So that's one trade-off. The other trade-off is uh, this whole concept of uh, a wallet configuration file, which is sometimes referred to as <clears throat> descript output descriptor, or sometimes it refer it is referred to as you know um, uh, the standard is referred to as BSMS. Basically, it means that um, uh, you need to know where your wallet is in the in the whole key space. You might have the three keys, or you might have two of the three keys. But unless you know which wallet uh, to open, because there can be you know infinite number of wallets with the same three keys. So unless you know which exact wallet wallet to open, multisig wallet to open, you will not be able to you know open the right wallet. Or even if you open, you might not find your funds there. So that's called like the map or the wallet configuration file. Now, why does that problem not come in single sig? Is because in single sig the xpub is implied from the seed so if you have the seed there is only one xpub possible and you can use it even in case of multisig if it was a three of three multisig then you could generate the standard xpubs from the seeds but since we are trying to you know um, make it a little more resilient by having a, a two of three or three of five scheme in such a way that user has some there is there is a there is a way for user to lose some keys but still be able to access their funds. That is where you need to know what role the other keys that you're not using, what are they playing in generating the receive addresses? And that in short is the XPUB, XPUB and path for the for the other keys that are not going to get used. So these are the two uh, trade-offs or complexities that I could think of. Yeah, I think that was a great summary. Um, I think to to kind of take a, a step uh, back um, and keep it sort of simple and approachable, um, Anant alluded to the fact that there's you know extra pieces of information that you you need to be up for this to be as secure and 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 for your backups to be robust enough. And to to break that down for the average user, you know, if you have a single signature wallet, then you have uh, just one crucial piece of information that you need to secure from theft, fire, water, etc., and loss. Um, and that's your seed words. Uh, as long as you keep that safe, somewhere safe, and you know, you're know you protected from most eventualities. With a multi-signature, um, you have, you know, in the, in the common uh, setup of a two or three, that means you've got three things to look after. Um, so that, well, that will be potentially three hardware wallets, uh, depending on how you set the, the device up. And then you've also got three seed, lots of seed words for each of those hardware wallets, and also the multi-sig config file that Anant was talking about as well. Um, now you can bundle some of those pieces of information together, uh, but ultimately you're going to need at least three secure locations uh, to keep um, some of your uh, backup material. Um, 
now. Obviously, everybody's in different different situations, but um, you know, it doesn't go without saying that a lot of people don't have access to three secure locations where they'd be comfortable leaving private key material. So that's a big one for me when I'm making considerations and, and certainly recommendations to others in terms of how or when they should uh, or if they should move to multi-sig at all um, is that having that secure location to be able to back up that those all important information that uh, and, and I have uh, just covered. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on the multiple locations because I think that's that's one that a lot of people forget about because if you're doing something like a two of three, and I think it's probably a good example to kind of use moving forward, if, if you're using a, a two of three multi-sig, but you store all three seeds together in the same drawer in your house or whatever, you're not gaining any security from it. If someone walks into your house and picks up those three seeds, they have everything, well, assuming you have XPUBs there or a wallet config file as well, they have everything they need to steal those funds. So you do need those multiple secure locations for each of those pieces for it to really make sense to do a multi-key multi-sig. Or if you're doing it where it's not just you as a key holder, but there are other people you trust um, who you want to be key holders. I think that situation makes a little bit more sense because then it's easier. In theory, you trust them to keep their key material, keep their C, keep their XPUB, keep a wallet config file. Um, but if you are just doing just you, uh, then it, it is something where you need to remember that you need multiple places to keep these keys safe. Um, and thankfully, like in a two of three, you can afford to lose one of them or have one of them stolen or destroyed in a fire or whatever. Um, but you can only afford that that one to be lost before you have issues. Uh, so it's it's a really key a key detail that I think sometimes gets forgotten in the uh, forgotten in the the multi sig space. Yeah, I think also just to drive uh, that point home a little bit more, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen um, the world be locked down almost overnight. Um, and there's often a lot of talk of, you know, geographically distributed, uh, distributed multi-sig uh, or, you know, cross-jurisdictional multi-sig where people are talking about the benefits of keeping their keys in different countries and how secure that is, which I'm not disputing that fact, but there's a very real possibility if something like that was to ever happen again and you need to spend your Bitcoin in a hurry, then that you simply can't. Uh, you would essentially be locked out temporarily from your Bitcoin. And if you need to make a transaction in a hurry and you need to fly across the world to access a couple of your keys, that's going to be a big, big problem for you. So um, it, it's something that, sh you know, something... Uh, that should be very, very carefully considered uh, when you're talking about, you know, the quorum of, of a multi-sig setup, um, but also where you're going to keep each of those keys as well to to be able to ensure that it's not too easy to access in the example that you gave, Seth, where they're all in your top drawer um, or, you know, taking it to the other stream that, extreme that I've just talked about where they're in three corners of the globe and, you know, the world's on lockdown and you can't get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... Even if someone uses multisig, there is no way that they they do not need a single sig. So single sig is definitely needed for your you know regular operations. In fact, a multisig security reduces if you do not have a single sig corresponding wallet. What would happen is that uh, if you just rely on multisig, then you would end up accessing those keys again and again and again. And accessing a, a multi-sig quorum of multi-sig keys reduces the you know security of those keys. So it goes without saying that you do need a single sig to you know keep your multi-sig secure. It's kind of uh, it's funny to say that, but that's true. You do need single sig wallets to keep your multi-sig wallet safe. You need to make sure that you understand that the multi-sig wallet is more about long-term cold storage stuff 
and it is not something you would need it in you know three to six months time at least if not more uh, most of the guys we have been speaking to they want to you know have cold storage which is like you know they don't need it for years and then they have uh, various uh, you know um, hot wallets where they keep their daily cash or regular funds so it's very important to understand that single sig doesn't go away multi sig is only in addition to uh, a single sig yeah, it's a great point. I think it, it kind of mirrors the the recommendations that are normal as well for like for a hardware wallet where normally you have a hot wallet on your your phone or maybe on your desktop that you can spend from easily uh, and then you use your hardware wallet for storage of larger amounts. So I think a, a very similar concept applies applies to multi-sig, but it's a it's an interesting call out too to the security aspect which I hadn't thought about as much there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why in Keeper, uh, the Keeper as a product, see, Keeper is not like I was stressing upon, Keeper is not a multisig product. It's not like uh, multisig is the end, multisig is the means. And therefore, therefore if the, the job of security has to be done properly for the user, it is important that there are single sig or hot wallets available that the user can use easily. If Keeper only had multisig, uh, then actually that multisig would be less secure, like I said. So Keeper does give you uh, option of multiple hot wallets, which you which which has which is made much more convenient with the help of BIP85, uh, which I have put out a lot about. But essentially, that is uh, you know key piece of the puzzle, without which the whole security doesn't really is not really complete. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great run through there. So I feel like we've we've bashed multi-sig enough and, and talked about a lot of the negatives. So I, I do want to be sure that we talk about some of the the use cases that are um, that are important for people and that that can be can be used. Um, so I think two main things I want to look at are what are some of the key uses you see with multi-sig for kind of the average normal Bitcoiner, and then what are the uses that you see for businesses or larger projects. So like I said, uh, multi-sig are like. Michael Flaxman would really um, really love to stress this point is that Multisig offers you additional places where you can you can you know uh, you can commit a mistake because let's say if if you have a you know three of five or two of three then uh, doing a mistake or you know losing one of the keys or maybe exposing or not backing it up correctly actually doesn't uh, doesn't hurt you as much but if you do that in single sig that is that is the end of the end of story right so uh, it gives you additional keep additional places where you can make mistakes for at an individual level and as things get uh, uh, get streamlined with the help of the work you guys are doing other hardware wallets are you know, becoming more and more multi-sig friendly taproot and music and other things are coming on it is the the trajectory of uh, self custody is moving towards easier you know uh, easier use of multiple multiple uh, keys now that is the that is the application for um, individuals and we do think we genuinely believe that it is something that 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 should not be very difficult and is not very difficult if we if we grow with the ecosystem in the in the right way right um when it comes to enterprise it actually it lends itself very easily because what an enterprise really means there are two things when you when you um, compare individual needs versus, versus an enterprise needs one in the case of enterprise you have natural roles which are different it's not one individual 
so there are natural roles which are different they perform different functions and they can have different you know rights and this is very easy when we talked about you know people holding different keys instead of one single person trying to find different geographical locations so that's a very easy fix if there are like four co-founders or five co-founders then they can simply probably create a multisig between themselves so that part of role uh, role works very well with enterprises the other part of enterprise is that enterprises uh, especially the one which are properly registered are by default um, much more public than individuals at least in uk and other places that i have learned from uh, you have to file your accounts you have to make a lot of things pu things public so they are a lot of enterprises are okay if they are helped by uh, you know um, they are helped with the help of, uh, with collaborative services or assisted multisig so they are they are not really um, they want someone to help them out in a professional way so that makes it much easier so multisig yes it lends itself very well to the enterprise situation as well i think uh, the the uh, other benefits like inheritance and uh, social recovery or taking help from others for recovering are are all the use cases that multisig exposes one thing we have to really understand that, that there is no analogy to multisig in the real world that is that is why people uh, it is difficult to understand when we put on especially an n of m multisig where you need some of the keys to unlock the whole thing but you don't really need all of the keys that's really not uh, not not easily something that we uh, see in the rest of the world in the financial world our account is only our account a joint account is like uh, between both of them i have not seen a tool or a vehicle where you can have like five people and you need three of three to sign you can create a trust and all that there are complicated ways to do it but not in a you know sovereign and uh, you know independent way so that it is it is slightly uh, difficult to comprehend because there is no analogy but it is actually quite neat and it's kind of a super it's, it's one of the original smart contracts that natively exists in bitcoin which doesn't by the way exist in most other blockchains um, yeah, so one of the main benefits of multisig is that it removes what we call single points of failure, uh, which is um, a single piece of information or location that, if it was compromised, uh, would result in you losing 100% uh, access to your Bitcoin and buy-by sats. Um, so to put that into perspective, with a single signature wallet, uh, that could be... Um, you know, your seed words in plain text being compromised by, you know, a nosy family member uh, or it being set on fire accidentally if your house catches fire. And that's a single point of failure. Um, and that's one of the downsides of single SIG. Um, there are some nuanced uh, ways that you can kind of work around that to protect against that. Um, but obviously we're focused on multi-sig here, which is one of the key ways that you can uh, mitigate against, against single points of failure. So we talked about earlier that you would introduce additional keys. Um, you know, a common one would be a two or three multi-sig quorum where you create, you use two keys, three keys, sorry, um, and you need two of them to spend. So in that setup, if you were to lose uh, complete access to one of your hardware wallets, providing that you've got access to either the two other hardware wallets or their seed word backups and the multi-sig configuration file that Anant was talking about earlier, then you can restore full access to your Bitcoin um, to be able to spend those out to a new wallet so that you can uh, 
you know, create that new wallet so that you've got control of 100% of the keys again and sort of uh, what we call kind of rotate out the the compromised key. Um, so that's one of the main benefits of multi-sig. Um, and obviously, as the as the quorums grow in size, um, the uh, the sort of um, ability for loss kind of grows a, a little bit with that as well. So um, in a three or five setup, which is also commonly used, you can lose access to two keys and still be able to spend your Bitcoin. Um, obviously, you've got the trade-off that we talked about earlier with extra pieces of information that need to be managed. Um, so again, you should be uh, making careful, carefully considered uh, choices when choosing your uh, quorum size uh, and signing thresholds. But yeah, definitely uh, one of the main benefits I see uh, of multi-sig. Yeah, and one, one more that I, I would add to is I, I think a lot of people don't see that multi-sig is actually really beneficial when we're building decentralized tools on Bitcoin as well. Um, and for anybody who's used BISC, BISC exists and works because of multi-sig on Bitcoin. Uh, it used to be two of three where the two participants in the trade would hold keys and then a, um, uh, I can't think of the word that they use, an arbitrator would hold the third key in case of disputes. Uh, but they were actually able to, to phase that out and do two of two. So now the people participating in the trade can use that multi-sig wallet to either perfectly dispense funds or to not dispense funds and have an arbitrator step in and help. And you're able to do that on Bitcoin, on-chain, removing the trust from the other party because of multi-sig on Bitcoin. Uh, it's also a really big deal for tools like Atomic Swaps, which are are something that have been talked about for a really long time, but I haven't really materialized or, or seen too wide of usage. Um, but things like Atomic Swaps with Ethereum or uh, Monero or other cryptocurrencies are a, a big aspect of multi-sig as well. And it's a, it's a, a key way that we're able to build out those tools on Bitcoin and then the most popular one that people might not realize multi-sig is key for is actually lightning. So when you're using the lightning network and opening channels, you're using multi-sig. You just don't realize it because all of that's abstracted away. So there's a lot of a lot of really important use cases that multi-sig enables on Bitcoin, even if you're not consciously creating a, a multi-sig wallet for storing sats, but it enables a lot of really powerful things on chain. I was about to say that uh, you might you might be forgetting lightning. And even stuff like Fediment and a lot of other things, uh, you know, multi-sectors power a lot of layer two stuff on Bitcoin. Yeah, Fediment is a great example of that as well, especially of the, the specific use cases where there's a, a clear benefit because you want to remove trust from any specific person in that quorum and you want to make them have to collaborate. So Fediment is a, another great example there. I think you just, just said something very important here. Uh, remove trust. Uh, I wouldn't say remove trust, but the way I would put it, minimize trust in any one of those parties. That is the benefit of multisig. That happens when you are doing it for individuals, enterprise at a you know community level in Fediment or whatever. Um, even in case of Lightning. So in case of individuals, if you have a two of three multisig with you know three separate hardware wallets, and one hardware wallet is completely compromised, let's say you know Blockstream has built a backdoor in their jade wallet they still cannot touch your funds they would really have to uh, they would really have to collude with you know other hardware wallets to make sure that they can steal your funds so it is a very good trust minimizing uh, mechanism yeah that's a great a great clarification there because yeah it doesn't it doesn't remove it but minimizing 
the the trust is a key aspect. And I hadn't really thought of phrasing it like that for when you're the only participant, but you have multiple keys. But it it's true because especially in that case of like um, minimizing the the risk of like a uh, an intercepted hardware wallet that's compromised or something like that. It it really is still about about minimizing trust there. Uh, so I think that's a, a really good key. Um, anything else? See, you what you're doing, what you're doing, you, you see, what you're doing at every step is, let's say you have a wallet and you just use the hot wallet. That's like completely relying on that wallet. Now you put it, put a cold storage, and you make that wallet as a watch-only wallet, and you keep the keys in a you know on a cold card. Now you have split the trust between two separate entities and none of them single-handedly can you know steal your funds in multisig you take it one step further that single signing capability you divide it further into three parts or four parts or five parts so you see how you are trying to you know um, minimize the trust in any one entity basically yeah absolutely um, so when we look at multi-sig, I think a lot of the the drawbacks, a lot of the hesitation that people have experienced, even if we're not looking at like the the backups or the the maybe the difficulty to keep that key material, but a lot of it I think is hinged on the actual user experience of multi-sig being very very tricky to to get right and having been something that I feel like the space has struggled with in the past. Um, it feels like they're just it's never quite there. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts. Do you think that that's changing? I mean, I, I assume, I assume Anant that you do with, with what y'all are doing at Keeper, but, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts with like how things like Sparrow are changing it as well. See what has changed. Uh, so there were a lot of multi-sig solutions, even let's say in 2010, 11, like, uh, you know, at a project level and people trying to do it, but what has changed since then is, uh, there are a lot of standards which have emerged. One because of uh, taproot and because of the focus on you know um, uh, focus on you know uh, the bips there have been um, there have been more understanding of the benefits of multisig that's one part of it but even practically enabling multisig psbt was not really very well um, very well adopted in the community that has happened in the last one or two years uh, formats like output descriptors bsms that was not there all these standards coming together plus capabilities like nfc bluetooth qr code animated qr code these things have come together in the literally last one year 18 months so something that was very difficult let's say even 18 months back is is actually substantially i would say order of magnitude easier right now so if you use sparrow or keeper there's always something better to be done and operationally because there are multiple keys you have to do more number of steps but honestly there is very little complexity left. It is instead of one key, there are three keys. You have to sign with two of them. And there is an additional file that you have to store multiple. That's it. That's all uh, there is to it. Everything else, every good practice that you would do with single sig, that is what you would repeat with multi-sig anyway. So I think that uh, 2023 and 24, we will see a lot more people uh, using multi-sig as their you know long-term cold storage mechanism yeah some great points uh, i think aside from the 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 standard side of thing at a technical level the main thing that i've noticed in the last pretty much two years is um you know before 
two years ago we had you know you could uh, you had Electrum for for multisig and maybe one or two others. Um, and you look at the space now, you know you've got um, obviously you've got Spiral Wallet Spectre on desktop as well as Electrum, um, and then you've also got an absolute plethora of uh, mobile options, which was you know mobile multisig was was literally didn't exist uh, until fairly recently, and now we've got you know Keeper, Nunchuck. Um, and aside from that, we've also got, uh, you know, collaborative, tr- um, collaborative custody uh, solutions like um, CASA and Unchained as well, which are, you know, take some other trade-offs, but also, you know, open multi-sig out to other people as well. So I think a huge one has been UX, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, the, just the quality of the, the user interface that um, people have got op- open to them now to be able to interact with multiple keys at the same time, be that on mobile or on desktop, has just come on leaps and bounds. Yeah, it definitely has been exciting to see the, I feel like, renewed focus on multi-seg that's been happening over the past couple of years. Uh, and I feel like it it really is improving at a rapid pace. And like you said, Ananta, I feel like this this year, maybe next year, are going to be really big as people start to latch more onto both per- personal multi-sig and the collaborative custody approaches as well. I think you're going to continue to, to grow in usage there. Um, are there any specifics with Keeper that you're trying to tackle these type of like user experience issues? Anything you're doing different um, or anything you want to kind of highlight there? Um, I think like I alluded to earlier, we want to really uh, you know, do a job for the user and not really make it like a multi-sig playground. So we have kept, kept things intentionally simple. You cannot probably create multiple multi-sig vaults in Keeper. You cannot have like a 10 of 12 multi-sig or any configuration you want. Uh, so we have intentionally, it is very easy to implement once you have implemented the basics. But we have intentionally simplified it and restricted it to something that the user really wants. Maybe there will be 5% of the users who really want something else, which we can't offer. But by focusing on the rest of the 95%, we are able to streamline the UX. We're not trying to, you know, be all of multisig, right? And that is the key focus uh, that that applies to the hot wallets we have, that applies to the inheritance we have. And, you know, we are working on stuff like time locks and mini scripts. All uh, All are focused towards providing something that is simple and secure and not necessarily exotic and difficult um, and cutting edge for that matter. Yeah, I think it's very similar to the approach that we've taken at Foundation where we're, we're targeting that the majority of users, not necessarily the hardcore user, even though I feel like we've done a good job keeping a lot of the hardcore use cases implemented and, and maintained, but we're really trying to make sure that people can very approachably store Bitcoin, both in single sig and multi sig setups. So I, I appreciate that that focus on more the average user than necessarily the the hardcore Bitcoiner that maybe has more niche use cases. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That is that is the, the actually that is the crux of UX. You really need to focus on your audience. Who is the target audience? What are you really trying to achieve? and uh, you know just uh, have laser focus on it awesome thank you all well, we are running a little bit longer today so <clears throat> i want to try to get through the the last three questions pretty quickly um the first one maybe i'll just throw this to to q a to quickly answer but um what has kind of been the focus with us at foundation with simplifying multi-sig usage specifically ah yeah good question um so obviously 
Yeah, Passport comes uh, with its own camera on the back of the device. Um, and one of the things we do when we walk you through any of the multi-sig uh, connection flows that are built into the device, you know, we've got custom flows for Keeper, Spectre, Sparrow, anything like that that we support. Uh, it all has its own custom flow. One of the final steps uh, is that we ask you to import the multi-sig configuration. Um, and we allow you to do that via a QR code or an animated QR code, again, depending on the, the size of your multi-sig quorum. Um, so what that means is that you can uh, notify your device that it's part of a specific quorum um, and you'll actually uh, import the, the public keys of uh, all of the other devices or sign in device signers that form part of that wallet. So you can do that in a couple of seconds just with a scan of a QR code. Um, and by doing that, what that means is that the device can, when you're signing uh, multi-sig transactions in the future, uh, the device will be able to verify all of your um receive and change addresses uh, automatically when you when you're just going through that signing flow um we do also afford the user the option to do that manually as well again just so if, so if they were to open keep a wallet and press receive uh, and then scan that receiving address um, passport will verify that uh, the address being displayed by keeper uh, is actually one that belongs uh, properly to that multi-sig configuration that's been imported so that's kind of a bit of a check and a balance against uh, let's say a user downloading a dodgy version of um, spectre sparrow keeper whatever multi-sig coordinator that they're using um, and outside of that um, we're just big on adopting the standards and ensuring that we've got wide compatibility. So, um, you know, Anant touched on all of the, all of the standards um, that are currently well documented within Bitcoin with, with respect to, to multi-sig today, you know, we're compatible with all of those. Um, and we also ensure just wide compatibility so that our users have got um, the choice to to go to any of the possible multi-sig coordinators, um, depending on their preference, be that mobile or, or a desktop uh, solution. Yeah, really big on on optionality, and that's one of the one of the reasons why we love new wallets like Keeper popping up because we can quickly add support. Actually, it technically worked even before we officially added support, but we can quickly add that and make sure that our users can can enjoy whatever wallet they prefer to use as their actual like software wallet, and then use Passport as as one of the keys there. So, definitely a, a key focus for us. Uh, this is one of the things we missed when we talked about when I talked about um, why is multisig different today from what it was two years back, right? It is uh, with uh, with people like yourselves who are actually understanding it better now and, you know, putting it the right efforts in. So that was, again, that was not the case a couple of years back. So yeah, uh, you guys are playing a good role in that, uh, that trajectory as well. For sure. Well, last two questions really quickly. Um, what are some of the most interesting and innovative use cases of multi-sig you've seen pop up recently? Maybe we can just kind of do these rapid fire so we can get to some, uh, some questions from the audience before we close out today. Yeah, for me, real quick, uh, the main two, um, collaborative custody, uh, CASA, Unchained, um, uh, Nunchuck, Keeper, um, just the, the options to, to kind of... Um, delegate the control of one key uh, whilst not losing um, you know overall control of the wallet itself uh, is going to lower the bar to entry um, don't get me wrong there's some trade-offs to be had with that in terms of privacy and whatnot um, but it's definitely lowering the bar to entry to to multi-sig and the other one um, for me would be and again I'm not just saying it because Anant's here is is mobile multi-sig um, we live in a, a mobile first world so you know a lot of people don't even have a computer so to be able to access all of these features and Bitcoin security um, benefits from your mobile phone uh, with some additional hardware is a is a big win for me 
Anything you wanted to add on there or not? No, I will just add well, that use cases are covered, but uh, additional optionality within multisig is also something that has popped up. For example, if you want to in Keeper, if you want to use um, a phone that is lying around in your top drawer and you know is not getting used, you can use it as part of a you know quorum of five keys. Now, using that individually for a single sig would have not been the best decision or the wisest decision. But if you, you want to use that, or for example, a tap sign or a simple $20 <clears throat> NFC key key store, then that's completely fine. It increases your security, but that's not possible if you are just having a single key. You wouldn't do that uh, with a lot of funds. Yeah, definitely love that, that growing optionality there as well. So last but not least, what practical recommendation, maybe we'll just keep it to, to one recommendation, um, do you have for those who want to use multisig today or maybe are already even using multisig? Yeah, I'll hop in. Uh, my main one is always about inheritance. Uh, multisig offers some great uh, security benefits when done correctly. Um, but the question I always pose people who are saying, do you, you know, should I move to multisig is, you know, if you set one up um, and then got hit by a bus tomorrow, is your wife, husband, spouse, whoever it is, going to be able to access your Bitcoin? Um, just a question to think about. And, you know, there's a lot of trade-offs in that in terms of, you know, potentially leaving a treasure map or trusting people with different keys, but that introduces uh you know certain levels of trust depending on how you do it so not an easy problem to fix and it's very uh, much a personal situation depending on who you've got around you who you trust and what places or locations you've got to to keep different bits of information yeah i think that was spot on um, another quick thing that people could do to like convince themselves and be comfortable with multisig is just test it out just try it out it is uh, let's say if you try it out on sparrow and keeper and nunchuck um, you would realize that it is not that difficult. So yeah, just, so, yeah. just give it a try. Yeah, testnet is definitely your friend and it's another another great way to explore using a feature of Bitcoin without actually putting putting sats at risk. So testing out multi-sig on, on testnet is a great way to kind of get your hands dirty there. Thanks for jumping in for this episode of Journey to Sovereignty, and I hope you'll join us for our next live Twitter space every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. GMT. Joining us live gives you a chance to listen in, participate, and get your questions answered on the spot. Follow us at FoundationDVCS on Twitter to keep up with the latest news, get notifications when we go live, and much more. See you at the next one, and thanks for joining us on the Journey to Sovereignty.